just want to go. I can't. Welcome to Jump Scare, the podcast that sees it coming. I'm Shanice. And I'm Will. And we're doing a new episode, finally. It's been a while. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, gang, we're back. Uh, We took the holidays off, and then we took a little bit more off. You need a holiday from the holidays. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But we are back, and we are ready to continue our found footage arc. I'm so excited for tonight's movie. Me too. Yeah. So, what movie are we doing? We are doing the great, the groundbreaking Paranormal Activity. Oh, paranormal Activity is such a good, it is, I think, one of the top five movies that when you say found footage, you're like, Paranormal Activity? Yes. People just immediately think of this movie because it it, it is found footage to a T. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think that it's... It combines like Blair Witch's like impact on culture in that it really did change the landscape of horror movies in a big way. Maybe not like all of culture the way Blair Witch right. impacted, but like on the horror movie landscape, Paranormal Activity was definitely a watershed film. But I think unlike Blair Witch and some of these other you know classic movies, I think it's really good. It's re- that's what makes it so fucking amazing is yeah. that it's not I think that there's this weird, you know, feeling about horror films that they're not good, that they're just good fun. Mm-hmm. This is a good fucking movie. Yeah. Um and the critical reception says that enough, but also just people, I think that for a horror movie, to have people walk out of your movie means that you made a good movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. People walked out of The Exorcist, people walked out of Jaws. Exactly. That, yeah. that means that it's a good movie. Yeah. It's um, those people probably needed alcohol. Yeah. To watch they did. this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of, Shanice, what are we drinking to honor paranormal activity tonight? We're drinking Yellowtail Merlot. 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 Yes, we are. So, Yellowtail is explicitly shown in the movie because there is nothing more. Suburban 2006. Then fucking Yellowtail. Fucking Yellowtail. It's like, and it makes sense because Katie's a student. <laughs> right. Her boyfriend's kind of a shithead. <laughs> this is like, oh, we're sort of fancy, but not really. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like faux fancy. But you would drink this in college, right? Oh, man. Yeah. Okay. So full disclosure, I was in college in 2006 and I was drinking a lot of Yellowtail. Which is so weird. It's First so of all, that's not like a college drink. No, no one's like, it's college. It's time for wine. No, it was because, and I went to I went to the University of Delaware, you know, fear the bird. And, uh, <laughs> and it is a big old party school, and I had a lot of fun there. But I had this weird thing where I felt like I was too, by 2006, I was in my uh, junior year. And I thought I was like too cool for like Milwaukee's best at this point and all that and all the like the shitty like beer right. that we drank in the mid 2000s some natty ice yeah oh my god so much natty ice <laughs> so i was like i'm gonna be i'm gonna like drink yellowtail like i'm 21 now i can just buy alcohol that i want i'm gonna buy yellowtail how i got to this i have no idea but yeah i i spent a lot of well, they have great marketing. Like, they I don't really think they're like, oh, you got to it randomly. They spend so much money on their marketing, mm-hmm. um, which is why, like, I also, I was not of drinking age, but, <laughs> <laughs> and definitely not in 2006 wasn't drinking. But this was like, I remember drinking this 
thinking that it made me sort of like fancy. Yeah. But like to be honest, it's the one of the cheaper ones. Oh, I don't totally. know, you bought this. It yeah. was pretty cheap, right? For red wine. This was a $9.99 <laughs> purchase. Oh no shit. At the local <laughs> wine store uh in Kensington, Brooklyn. Yeah. Are they still a thing, Yellowtail? I have no clue. Yeah. They... I I feel like I see I've seen less commercials. I agree. I used to always see the trucks. They would drive yeah. past you on the highway. Because they're fucking bright. Yeah, right. I don't know. But they they drank it in the movie, so we're drinking it now. So we're drinking <laughs> it now. We encourage all our listeners, of age listeners, to um, throw down nine bucks and get yourself a bottle of Yellowtail. It might even be cheaper wherever you are. Yeah. It's $10. <laughs> this might be a seven ninety nine if you're in the middle of America. Right, Who knows? If you're not in Brooklyn. God, so expensive, mm. where it's not fancy. This is not a fancy drink in Brooklyn. <laughs> no, no. I would have gotten a lot of um, a lot of judgmental stares if I had purchased this in <laughs> the hip part of Brooklyn that we're recording this. One hundred percent. I would have got my. I would have gotten uh, run out of town. I think. Okay, so this came out in two thousand and seven. Mm. Which feels like a fucking lifetime ago. So does, yeah. And it kind of is. Yeah, it really is. The difference in terms of like CGI availability and um, if this makes sense, like media saturation and like audience maturity, 2007 to now. Right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that isn't entirely true, but I feel like in 2007 was towards the end of audiences being a little more like credible and a little less i don't know demanding of horror i could see that yeah Yeah. i think i think this is also this came out during a perfect time not to say that there weren't other great horror films coming out but i feel like 2006 2007 2008 were sort of these weird years for horror Mm in pop culture because there were so many other things that were like ramping up in terms of like superheroes and like those were what moviegoers were going to go see that right. horror, once again, fell to like the back burner of like, <laughs> you're a weirdo if you're going to go see a horror movie. And it's like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I completely agree. I don't think it was a, yeah, the audiences weren't really, really ready for this. Right. Yeah. It, it took a lot of people by surprise. So it's directed and written and produced and shot and basically everything by owned forever <laughs> yeah exactly. uh, a guy named Oren Pelly if I hope I'm saying that right I think so I'm yeah. trying to I was just trying to think back of every interview I've ever watched and I'm pretty sure yeah it's Oren Pelly yeah so Oren Pelly uh, this was his first feature continuing our <laughs> it seems our inescapable trend of just looking at people's first horror features after this came out and was massively successful, and we're about to talk about that, he actually didn't really direct anything else, but he became known as one of the real powerhouse producers behind what would become Blumhouse Productions. Which has given us so many amazing horror movies yeah. in the years since. We've got uh, Lords of Salem, uh, Unfriended. They also did, most recently, there was a new trailer... Whatever. Like, if you think about <laughs> horror movies, this is what you, you think of this. Totally. Yeah. They really dominated Get Out, Insidious. Yeah. There you go. To me, Blumhouse seems like almost an old school studio where they take a, they get an, an IP that they find compelling, whether it's Insidious or Paranormal Activity or Unfriended or, or Ouija. 
(laughs) (laughs) Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, And they do, like, many, many, many sequels. Like, they really milk um, in a way that I don't find tasteless. I actually find, like, true to the traditions of horror. But they really milk the sequels. So, like, they put out four or five paranormal activities they put out four or five insidious movies they put out like three Ouija films well i think that they brought back the beauty of the horror franchise yeah because it's been a lot we had friday the 13th we had you know the jason movies Mm -hmm. and there was again during these years it wasn't a no one thought of like a sequel to a horror like who fucking cares it was like a one and they're done right but they are creating these universes and it's like oh shit they're actually all like connected and all this stuff like it's i don't think it's tasteless i think that you know they're a little silly sometimes Uh when you get to like number six right (laughs) (laughs) but it it it's building this universe like it's the mc fucking you and that's okay we need that in horror (laughs) (laughs) totally agree and you know a lot of them like you said are silly or, or don't totally hit but Thing is, when you make four or five movies in a, in a group and they're all horror movies, you have a good chance of, you know, maybe three or four or five will end up being like surprisingly good or interesting. It'll be like, yep, you know, like Nightmare on Elm Street three or um, you know, uh, Halloween three, Season of the Witch, where right. it's just like, wait, where the fuck did this come from? We don't know. But if they hadn't had this system, then we would have never gotten these like random, yeah, horror movies. I think also. It, it speaks volumes that this was his, this is what he directed. And he didn't really direct much after. And that speaks volumes about what this movie is mm-hmm. and where his brain is. I think that he's amazing, but it's all about ideation. And like, that's why this worked so well is that there wasn't, n- not to like knock him and like directing, mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot to direct because it's just, it's written so well. And I think that that's where his strengths lie in yeah. terms of like thinking of really creepy and how to make things suspenseful versus like trying to direct actors. Yeah. <laughs> because he didn't really deal with actors. I mean, they were actors, but very green. Totally. Yeah. Not to say, like, I don't know if I would trust him with like a seasoned actor, <laughs> but I would trust him to write a fucking great script. Right. Right. And I wonder if that goes to his background before making this movie which is that he was a software engineer uh, in San Diego. So, like, he seems very plugged in to the, like, tech world on the West Coast. He doesn't work in Silicon Valley, obviously, um, but he's, like, Silicon Valley adjacent. um, And I, yeah, I could see his talent really lying more in, you know, the logistics and a lot of the like technical like behind the scenes elements that go into actually making all these films well i think it's also a lot of big picture i think that it's this idea of understanding where you want the story to go versus like the nuances Mm -hmm. and small things which is weird when you think about paranormal activity because it's all about the small things yeah (laughs) (laughs) but we'll get into it because it's basically what made this movie so great (laughs) yeah yeah completely agree this movie was one of these slow burn films that uh, started out as a total indie film and then built and built and built over a series of years. And Shanice, my co-host, actually was involved in part of the process of bringing it to her hometown to build that uh, grassroots support. Well, it was the first, it used this platform called Eventful 
that uh, basically like sold tickets and like it was big for college towns. What they did was incredibly it, it's fucking revolutionary because there was so much hype built about around this movie because it was only a premiering here or there because they didn't have the money quote unquote, they definitely fucking did, but fine. <laughs> and suddenly through the internet and hearing through the grapevine and on social media, we're like, well, you don't have the opportunity to see this movie, demand it. Mm. Sign your name here, share it with your friends, tell your <laughs> friends that you want. And it wasn't even the sort of thing of like, tell your friends you saw this movie. It's like, tell your friends that you want to see this fucking movie, so demand it in your town. That's cool. Um, and of course I did it because I love horror. <laughs> And it was worth it. I think at one point they like put everyone's names like in credits. So mm. like if you slow down, I'm probably in there somewhere. Um, cool. But it, it's it, it's very reminiscent of Blair Witch, mm-hmm. of this idea of using the community to build the hype and build just everything around your film without people having to see it. Yeah. It, it was just, it's really good marketing. And they have a really fun tagline, which is don't see it alone. Right. Which A, speaks to this is scary, don't see it alone. And B, you've already told 12 of your fucking friends right. <laughs> to and come see it. Bring all your it. friends, have them buy tickets. <laughs> yeah, it's smart. Uh, what was your experience like actually watching this movie after hearing all about it and going online and demanding it and having it actually come to your town? So it was, I was really scared to see this movie because Uh part of, they definitely use the viral marketing. So you would see all these, they really took advantage of the like crowd reaction shots of people watching the movie. And it's just all these people with their like hands covering their eyes, people walking out. So I was terrified. And not that I'm not an easy scare, but like (laughs) I am an easy scare. (laughs) And seeing it, I think that that actually helped. I don't think that always helps movies when it's so hyped up in your mind yeah. and on the you know on the internet. But it it helped enhance this experience because I was kind of like, this is fucking real. Yeah, it was really weird to like think about something for so long without having seen it. Yeah, and then see it. <laughs> it's like a weird movie going experience because it's not like oh I sat in a movie theater and saw a trailer for this and was excited. Yeah, it was like I came across it on the internet. Everyone's talking about it. And then you sort of become a hype man for the movie. Yeah? Yeah, because you're like, don't you want to see this? Like, we should go see it. Right. It's really weird. It's really (laughs) cool. It honestly reminds me of, like, pursuing music and movies and stuff in the 90s when I was growing up when you would hear about all these, like, super cool bands, you know, that would be whispered about. But, you know, the local CD store didn't carry their music because they were too independent. Or it was a movie that, like, you know, your local video store didn't keep it so like there was no way you could see it there right. just was no alternative and so there'd be you know all these like movies and bands that would just kind of be whispered about and you'd hear them hear about them growing up and every now and then you'd stumble across some way to watch one. yeah <laughs> it, was like, it was so cool it was a really cool experience it's a, it's fucking punk rock. I feel yeah. like I say that all the time about horror, but like this is this is such a punk rock experience. It is. It's one of the last last horizons of, of that. Um, um, but speaking of punk rock, the money this fucking movie made is not yeah. punk rock. Nope. Fuck you. <laughs> so this movie has the distinction of being the most profitable film of all time. Jesus. Yes. The most profitable film of all time. So, and that's calculated by like percent return. So 
The word on the street is that this movie costs fifteen thousand dollars to make. It's notoriously hard to nail down exact amounts of money. Um, that fifteen thousand dollars doesn't include uh, ending that they reshot. It doesn't include them all the marketing that we were just talking about right. that the studio paid for. That probably cost you know a couple million dollars. Um, but they they say they shot this for fifteen thousand dollars and it returned. $193 million. Fucking hell. It is a 1.29 million percent return. <laughs> like who <laughs> would have thought? <laughs> right. I had to actually find a percent return, an ROI calculator to get that number. Cause I, I kept trying to do the math on it. <laughs> it's, it's impossible. It's <laughs> yeah, crazy it's like numbers. 1.288 million or something. Which like, again, speaks volumes to how great this movie is. Mm-hmm. And how like it speaks to the spirit of horror that you don't need a lot of money to make something good, um, but God, it like makes me feel gross too thinking about <laughs> how much money this movie made. I know because it's such a and again, this is not to knock the film, but it's such a simple concept. Yeah, it does. It, it's not groundbreaking, right? It's, no, yeah, <laughs> I agree. It's like it's just so much of it is just a static camera too. Yep. And it's like half the sounds that they say that the actors say they hear off screen. I don't think they even bothered to make a sound. They just had the actors say, "Hey, did you hear that?" Which is very real, and that's what makes it so scary. Because we've all had that <laughs> moment of like, "Did you fucking hear them?" It's like, "No." And it's like, no. "Are you sure?" Right. <laughs> and if you turn the volume up, I think everyone who watches this movie probably has this experience. You're like, "I didn't hear that," and then you blast the volume, and then there's just like a like a general ambient like sort of buzz just from your TV or whatever because right. it's so high. So every every moment has like sounds that you're like, oh, that, you're in a state of, um, uh, someone described this, describing It Follows and the experience of watching It Follows. It's It puts you in a state of hypervigilance. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You want to keep an eye out for what's happening. And yes. I think that's what makes this movie so good is like we've all been there. <laughs> <laughs> God, so much money. And like I think... I always think about like one of the most expensive things on a horror film are is the blood mm-hmm. that they use, mm-hmm. and like they don't really use blood in this. Like we've got the ending, yeah, um, but she's not even really covered in blood. I feel like the most expensive thing is a the camera mm. and b like the powder <laughs> that <Right>. they use. <laughs> the <laughs> like that powder. must have been super expensive, <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, because nothing else seems. I mean, maybe it was really expensive to like light uh, the Ouija board on fire. Maybe. Because I mean, that's practical. That's not CGI. Right? It's looked like it. So they definitely have to have hired an expert because they're like, we're going to start an actual fire in right. a home. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like I could have staged that fire safely for like $7. You could have, but you, but they I know, did it. I know, I know that's not how Hollywood works. <laughs> I know it probably cost them, you know. The insurance. ten grand <laughs> for insurance and union people to. Yeah. I'm just saying. <laughs> If anyone needs these to start a $7 fire for your film. We'll call you. Yeah, jump scare <laughs> at So what is this movie about? It, this movie's about so many things, but what does it really boil down to? You know, <laughs> this movie's about how awful men are. Yes. <laughs> that is what this movie is, right? It's not about demons. It's not about... Um, sort of 
the the lore of the paranormal activity world that they get into a little bit here and they get into much deeper in future films and I'm all in on it. I think it's super cool, but this movie is about male arrogance. It is. It's about the idea of I know better without actually knowing, mm-hmm. which uh, Mika does constantly. Of like, no, 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 we don't have to worry about that. And it's like, no, fuck you, you do. Yeah. Um, and there's the obvious like power dynamic between him and Katie because yeah. he's a day trader and makes all this fucking money. And she's like, I'm a student. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, okay. Like kind of treats her as like a stay-at-home wife even though she's not mm-hmm. one. And yeah. it's very clear that she is not one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. And And I mean, she stands up for herself. But he just completely seems to disregard that. I was struck by after he buys the Ouija board, which is its own whole thing of like you explicitly were told not to and you still did it and you promised your partner you weren't going to do it and you still did it just because who cares? Let's fuck around and buy a Ouija board. You know, let's vote for Donald Trump. Who fucking cares? Whatever. Let's just try things. This sort of like arrogant dude. But even after that, Katie is clearly super pissed at him. Yep. And he is still like, hey, babe, come down and help me figure out what's written on this Ouija board. Like, as though she wasn't angry at him at all. Like, it's just completely oblivious almost to her feelings. He treats it as a hobby. Yeah. This camera and the situation that's happening in their home and what's happening clearly to his partner that's driving her she gets very emotional which you would right it's a hobby like it's just curious like why not why not like push and poke and learn more and it's like because your partner's clearly suffering yeah and the way that katie talks about like this is something that's affected me since my childhood like this is real um it's something that she probably has like like real like ptsd kind of stuff exactly the fire um, what an asshole! Yeah, it's fuck just, you, Mika. <laughs> it, it really seems like he just sucks. And there's so much tied into it. There's like he loves electronics. That's a whole mm-hmm. plot point. And so he's like really into playing with different tech to try and capture the thing, as though he thought that like tech would like protect him in a sense. You know, it, it is about the tech, and I I think that you're mm-hmm. completely correct. And I think that again, it, it really plays into this hobby thing. I think. Now that we've talked about it, I miss the moment when they explain what Mika does for a living. Um, yeah, because it's quick. It's easy to miss. I was also like way more invested in like, what's going to fucking happen? <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> um, and I had seen this movie so many times that I think that that had always been a blip. Mm-hmm. But now living in you know the year 2020, again, it's this weird hobby of day traders, of people who like this is this is him being creative. Yeah. And not understanding technology, which is what I think that this movie is a lot about, is that in 2007, in mm-hmm. the mid-aughts, we, technology was changing. I mean, technology is always changing, but it was very rapid, I think, at this point yeah. of the capabilities that we had in our homes now. No longer was it just like, oh, now you have high-speed internet, but like entry-level cameras, you could, total, you could fucking film your own movie and not spend a lot of money on it. Yeah, yeah. And it, that this film speaks volumes about that of like what happens when we give regular people the tools of technology <laughs> that you don't fully understand. Yeah, I I think that's a big part of it. I I think of that one shot towards the beginning of the film where he's holding the camera and we see him setting up the camera in front of the bed, and 
next to the camera you you very neatly see laid out his cell phone and his macbook and like yeah. all of his gear you know and, and he buys more yeah yeah he he really wants to uh capture this and i think related to being enamored of the changing technology but not really understanding it i think that he is aware of like the emerging media landscape right he keeps talking about he wants to like capture it as though like he wants to put it on youtube which was just starting around now or you know put it into a documentary or put it on the internet in some way like he sees this as a way to like get some fame Mm -hmm. you know to like really stand out in like this emerging saturated media landscape and I think it, it kind of presages where we are in 2020 with this like undercurrent of anything for the the media, short-term media fame. Well, that's the thing. Everyone wants to leave a footprint. Like everyone wants to leave some sort of legacy. And especially in 2007, you were like, YouTube was a new thing. And it's like, well, mm. how can I make sure that people know that I did something cool? Right. Um at the expense of my partner and her mm-hmm. sanity mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's really, it's a really weird like thread to fall down with this movie because I think that it it seems so normal at that time. People sitting in that audience w- were people who wanted to buy cameras like that and do stuff. And it's like, well, yeah. now I have this. Is my life worth? And I think that the, it, it really touches on, is my life worth telling a story about? Oh, interesting, yeah. Because this is what made his life worth telling a story about. Because before that, he was just a day trader, like, with a nice girlfriend in a really great fucking house. And now suddenly, he's doing things or he's experiencing something that makes him worthwhile Mm -hmm. in the internet. So it's it's fucking, it's it's really interesting. It is really interesting, yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot happening here. A lot of, like, emerging storylines that are very new in 2007 that are now, I think very dominant in 2020 and they all combine <laughs> to disastrous results <laughs> uh so let's get into some of those results we want to jump into our wtf moments uh where we look at some of the outstanding moments from this film good and bad uh so we should start with the best scare in this film so shanice what's your best scare so it's hard to say what the best scare is for me because mm-hmm. what makes this movie so great is the suspense. And it's the the thing about this film and the way that it treats the suspense is that it preys on the fear that we all have very naturally that things are going bump in the night that you know that co- that weird shadow in the corner of your bedroom yeah. might be something. Mm-hmm. And it it amplifies that by placing a camera in the bedroom. Because that's sort of something that, you know, we all would want to do. And it's like, I God, I wish I had recorded when I heard that weird thing because it definitely wasn't one of the cats. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, we all want proof of us being scared. And then you don't because you're like, well, what if it was something? Yeah. And this movie just does it so brilliantly because there are several nights in the, in the beginning where they're just sleeping. Yeah. And they fast forward through it. And you're kind of like, oh, whatever, this is totally normal. And then it starts to become weird and then it stops again. It's just so great. Yeah. However, (laughs) (laughs) I think the scariest is her being dragged. Yeah. And part of that is the sound that's played in it because these are all very basic sounds. Uh One, you just hear the rustle of the 
uh, sheets on the bed, her thumping onto the ground, her screaming Mika's name, and then the slam of the door. The, the sound design in that scene is amazing because suddenly she's muffled and you're like, fuck, fuck. Yeah. And then the door swings open when he's going downstairs and her screams are terrifying. Like one of the great things about the actress Katie is that I think a lot of um, like scream queens struggle with keeping, she's got great lungs. Yeah. And like that <laughs> scream is, it, she doesn't waver whatsoever. It doesn't like drop down. Yep. It is just fucking terrifying to the point where you're like is she dying and then it it, and then it turns out that she's not like you thought that that was the climax of the movie and it's like no that's not even the end yeah um that fucking scared me (laughs) (laughs) yeah just even when you said that i got like a chill i mean that is one of the the most visceral nightmares right to be dragged out of your bed by something invisible and malevolent it's scary into the dark well because we all you know it's the it's the meme like just tuck your sheets under your feet nothing will get you (laughs) (laughs) and it did uh... and it gets you anyway don't hang your feet off the edge of the bed it's just again because it's the scene is taking place in a space that we all know very well Mm -hmm. our bedrooms Mm -hmm. and it's a very simple fear the fact that something's going to fucking get you yeah and I think the actors do such an incredible job of I've heard I've seen mixed reviews of their acting. I think they do a great job, very naturalistic. Yeah. Very normal couple. They have fights, they have sex, they like hang out, they have like casual intimacy of a couple. Like it's so normal. And that just makes the like the invasions and moments like yes. that so much more heart like horrifying for me the best scare and as we say every time um we record this we understand scare in sort of a broad sense right i think finding the photo why is that so scary that to me is terrifying because there is no explanation it's it's the moment for me it's like the cell door closes you know right the the curtains come down there is no question what's happening. There's no explanation for that at all, you know, except that there is a actual malevolent spirit mm-hmm. who has been following you around and is still with you. And it's a picture from the fire. And that you understand at that point in a subtle way because the fire is just casually mentioned. Right. Yeah. And then, but you, as an audience, you immediately understand this fire was started by the demon. The demon has been carrying this picture around her entire life it to me it's just it's so terrifying because it's like the it's all the walls come down all pretense of misunderstanding something natural happening disappear i think it's also really scary because it's the it's the moment where we recognize that it is about katie Mm -hmm. and like that's what makes it scary because i think that we're all very used to horror uh, or like demons existing in a home, mm-hmm. like that would like oh this is a haunted house, haunted and then house. suddenly yeah. you're kind of like oh no you like you feel bad like Katie's fucked. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah. <laughs> you're like this is real now. Like this is about her. Yeah. And, oh, it, it gives me chills because it's like at that point you've you've you're sympathetic towards her because yeah. Mika's a dick to her, and also we very openly see a lot of her breakdowns. 
and her coming to the realization that like there are things in her childhood that she doesn't remember uh-huh. like oh yeah i used to have these nightmares but i haven't but maybe i didn't have them like it's scary to yeah. suddenly be faced with one of your protagonists is fucked no matter what yeah because a demon is carrying around a picture like <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's so personal right right and it it suggests whole like you said whole histories that we don't see I think of when she wakes up from that nightmare that's clearly awful and terrifies her. Yeah. And she doesn't want to talk. And she just says, it's gross. I don't want to talk about it. Oh, my God. Like, to me, using the term gross instead of like, oh, it's scary or it's weird. It's like, what is gross? Like, what What did you see? It means it violated your mind. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like, it's really deep, traumatic stuff. And, you know, you you get the sense that whatever that is, that is her fate in the future. God, poor Katie. Yeah. <laughs> like, where is she in her head when the demon is inside her? I, I You know? Yeah. Which is a really good question. Yeah. I feel like we get this sort of answered in one of the sequels. I haven't seen the very most recent one. I've seen the others. There's another one coming out. So is I there? looked it up because, duh, we're uh-huh. about to record this. Uh, the seventh installment comes out in 2022. Oh, wow. These movies will never fucking end. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've seen the first three. I have not seen six. Oh, yeah, no. They yeah. get... They're actually in my research. Really weird. Um, there was a sequel made in Japan called Paranormal Activity 2 Tokyo Nights. <laughs> Tokyo Drift. I Yeah. <laughs> that I haven't seen, but I was kind of like, holy shit, I think that that's such an interesting concept of like this movie did really well in the west let's do our own version but like our own version that's a sequel yeah (laughs) (laughs) not a remake they're getting us back for all the like the eye dark water (laughs) like shitty remakes um but i think that they do they do sort of answer that question but like you as an audience member and i think that that's what makes it so weird for you sitting in the audience is that there's so many questions you don't get answers to yeah and you suddenly, again, finding the photo is the shift of like, oh, I've been caring about the wrong things in this story. I've been caring about the house being haunted or like something is following them. Suddenly you're kind of like, I, I need to know more about Katie and like Katie's story. Yeah. And then you don't get those answers. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no. Right? I love it. Like, I yeah, it was like, bring in the demon guy. Bring in the demon expert. I want to know more. Um I also have always found something terrifying about inevitability in horror movies. Um, I found that really terrifying about Evil Dead. That, mm-hmm. and I think we talked about it. The, like, yes. The thing of like, they are coming for you. They cannot be placated. They are pure malevolence. And all they want is your suffering and your death. And like, that is your fate and there's no escape. That's terrifying. It's so scary. Yeah. It, and it's scary because... Like, I don't know, if these things existed in the real world, that's kind of how it would fucking be. We're just humans. We can't fight a demon. (laughs) Like, you're just screwed. (laughs) Yeah, I completely agree. So this film has a ton of iconic moments. Totally. This film itself is iconic. But we we should award the most iconic moment, which, uh, again, to remind you, is a very personal iconic moment. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily think that it is. uh, We're not the experts here. But what's your what's your most iconic moment? So I don't have like a specific snapshot iconic moment. For me, it is the scenes of them sleeping. It's just a camera set up on a tripod, 
just running while two people sleep in their bedroom. Right. And every 12 hours, something horrifying happens for like 40 seconds. Right. And it's inexplicable. And then it's normal for another 12 hours. And then it happens again. Yeah. Yeah. That to me, that whole, just all those sequences, the like the fast forwarding. Yeah. Very natural. Just like two people sleeping in a bed. Um, yeah. The whole, all of those to me were, were just like so iconic. So for me, that's also the most iconic moment or mm-hmm. moments. Um, one, it becomes a poster mm-hmm. for yeah. this movie. <laughs> and two, the that setup shot of watching people sleep in the night vision becomes a staple of the paranormal activity films. Yeah. That is now, you will never not have a moment like that in these movies. It's iconic because when you think of paranormal activity, you think of these scenes. You think of the weird night vision. You think of people sleeping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just, it's perfect because, again, it's so simple. (laughs) So simple. Right. And it's something that, guess what? Every person is going to do every single night of their lives. Yeah, but don't do it because something's going to get you. Because something's going to get you. Right. (laughs) Don't sleep. But don't not sleep. I don't know. There's no escape. There's no escape. That's a really good tagline. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) So a very unique body count for a classic horror film here. We have a body count of one. Just one. Just one. Yeah, which is unexpected, but then also kind of makes sense because they're a young couple. So, like, who else would fucking die? Right, yeah. It just it goes to show, like, you don't need these escalating body counts to make a good film. In fact, often the actual kills in movies are usually... They can be, like, cool and gnarly and part of the fun of watching a movie, but they're generally not the scary parts of a movie. I agree, yeah. Yeah. And it's... it's I, I would even say, like, the the death is... It makes sense for this story, but it it almost wasn't needed. Yeah, I agree. Like this film still would have been incredibly scary in a horror film without anyone dying in it. Right. Um, this is just like a great exclamation point <laughs> of like, well, you fucking thought. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what the um, original ending was was or was supposed to? So be? there's three. Oh, okay. There were three endings, right? There's, yeah, that sounds right. There was one that it only got p- played at a local mm. event, and then that's where they switched it. Spielberg's request, right? I think so. Was it the yeah. throat one? It's like a throat slashing. I've only seen the the main one. I've not seen the other endings. I think the other one is like a throat slashing thing. It is kind of a, a little much. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's even an unfilmed one that they they had planned. Mm-hmm. They're 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 all really fucking weird and yeah. scary in their own right. I think the the one that we end up getting is the scariest because. For me personally, especially with this sort of film, there's nothing scarier than than not seeing what's happening. Yeah. That you're kind of like, oh, God, how bad did it really get? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. So do you think when Mika's body gets thrown, do you think he's already dead? I think he is. I know that's a hot topic on the internet about this movie. Uh The way that he's fucking flung. There's no way. Do you think that he's dead? I think he is. Because I think it would have. There's no way Mika makes no sound. Exactly. Getting flung like that. Oh. Yeah, I think the thing has already killed her, him. It's so ragdoll, too. Yeah. Like, that that's one of the scenes in this film that I was kind of like, ooh, this feels very realistic. Because there there's a lot of this. Like, you're watching a couple, you know, there's things going bump in the night. That mm-hmm. fire looks really cool. But that, just the way that his body 
reacts in that moment. I'm yeah. kind of like, oh my God. Because <laughs> <laughs> you get the sense of the demon's power, right? That like this like grown 180 pound person is just like. Is nothing. Is nothing. It's, not, oh. it's like the way we would flick off an ant or something. God. Yeah. Yeah, no, his death sucks. Like, yeah. but, uh, he kind of <laughs> deserves it. Yeah. But I'm glad there aren't a lot of deaths in this. Do you agree? I agree. Yeah, I can't think of a way that more, like a higher body count would have improved this movie at all. But also, we're not introduced to enough characters. Right. To really kind of, get, like, if they would have yeah. killed someone, we wouldn't have given a fuck because this movie is about Katie and Mika. Right. It's amazingly insular. Yeah. Right? There's only two other characters we ever see. There's the psychic and there's Katie's friend. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. But like it wouldn't have made sense to kill either of them. No. Yeah. I mean they could have gone out they could have shoehorned the friend like, I'm gonna stay over and now sure. I'm dead. Yeah. But that would have ruined the flow of the story because then you would have been like, I don't know. Yeah, cares? I think it would have been extra. Yeah, yeah. it would have. Yeah. Especially because it's like the demon has a mission. You know, and we know. see this more in future films where, like, the demon has a, a agenda. <laughs> it's got an interesting lore to it. Yeah, I agree. Um, which, now that we, we're talking about it, like, the the idea of, like, men being shitty kind of runs through mm-hmm. the, the story <laughs> in general. <laughs> yep. Yes, it does. Um, so what do you think didn't work in... This movie. Yeah. So I will say that there's nothing glaring that didn't work. The one thing that I have some hesitation about, which I have the same hesitation about any found footage film, is like, you know, Mika's partner, ostensibly the love of his life, is like freaking out. And Mika like runs the opposite way to grab the camera before going and check it out. Right. But... We also, on in this movie, more than most found footage movies, get so much character detail of why he would do that that it makes sense. And like, also, like Katie explicitly comments, like, "Did you get the fucking camera?" And like, when I was screaming, yeah. like, "What is wrong with you?" Um, so I, I feel like this movie does such a good job of like dealing with that sort of like fundamental problem with all found footage horror. Right. So I don't know. Beyond that, I couldn't really think of anything that didn't work yeah i don't think there's anything that didn't work i will say like mika getting the camera is a little weird it's Mm -hmm. always weird in found footage i think the biggest uh the worst one of that is cloverfield oh yeah it's like you're running through the fucking tunnels and you're still recording okay dude (laughs) um but i think everything else worked really well i think that it's like it's a really great movie and i think that it's it's a it's not necessarily timeless but the way that the script is written is that the way that they talk about technology is so vague and broad yeah. that you're kind of like, oh, this could have existed at any point in a way. Right. Yeah, right. Like, yeah, now it would have been probably you would have been recording it on your cell phone, but it wouldn't have changed anything about the movie, really. It's very future proof. Yeah. And which I can appreciate in a found footage because I think that that's something that's hard to do in found footage. Right. Right. Compare that to like a last broadcast or something, which is like exactly. so rooted in its own technology moment. Yeah. Um, or even, you know, Blair Witch. You yeah. threw the fucking map. Who needs a map? Yeah, right. A map? <laughs> Take out your phone. Right. <laughs> what is this? The 16th century? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So we have a feature on this podcast called the Run Up the Stairs Instead of Out of the House. 
award for the dumbest decision in this movie. So, Shanice, what would you say is the dumbest decision in this movie? In any fucking horror movie that does this, the uh-huh. Ouija board. Don't yeah. fuck with this shit. Yeah, right? <laughs> Why? <laughs> and, like, your partner even warned you that, like, yeah. hey, maybe she, maybe she's keeping some stuff from you. If she's warning you about this, don't fucking do it. And he's like, <laughs> Why not? <laughs> yeah. Who cares? It's fine. Yeah, I, I cannot disagree. I mean, the general taunting, all of it, but like, just the fucking Ouija board. It's going to think that you are trying to communicate with it and you're going to bring it into your... This is... <laughs> don't, I, I, this is so inconceivable to me. I am an atheist. I don't believe in ghosts. I'm like generally a pretty rational person. There's no way in hell I would ever make this decision. Exactly, because it's so fucking stupid. Yeah. It it truly, like, enough shit has happened that you're like, hmm, I don't, like, believe in whatever you want about life. Maybe I don't want to welcome this right? evil in case it is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, man. You, like, look at data all day to make your decisions as a stock trader. Understand that your, your baseline assumptions are shifting a bit here. And you <laughs> right. need to reorient <laughs> your, like, conclusions. It's so it's so dumb. It's so dumb. Fuck fuck Mika. Mika, you suck. Mispronouncing your name too. Yeah, it should be Micah. It makes me so angry, and I'm sorry if anyone out there is named Mika and you say Mika. It's Micah. Yeah. I've never met a Mika. I've met several Micahs. Really? Same. <laughs> Micah like the rock. Yeah. <laughs> um, how would you survive? Aside from not oh. getting a fucking Ouija board. <laughs> so we were talking about this a little beforehand. This is a hard one to survive because you're going up against, yep. yeah, you're going up against like an ancient omnipotent evil. <laughs> it was like not part of your world. It's like going up against Cthulhu or something. <laughs> uh, but I will say, I think it's amazing how many things they didn't try. I would have absolutely gotten the demon guy on the phone if I couldn't have gotten, if like he couldn't have come out to San Diego, I would have gone to see him. We know it's going to follow you anyway. Like why stay in the right. house? I'm amazed there's no priests. There's no religion. If demons are around, probably God is real too. Right. At least a healthy hypothesis. I don't understand why they don't seek out some of that. Even especially at like towards the end of the film where they're like like legitimately It's like, clear. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't I think that also speaks volumes to like what was going on in 2007 where people are like religion's stupid i think people are still like that right now Uh but i think that it was really it was very mainstream to like shun religion Mm -hmm. and it made you look smart if you could like figure things out without like having a priest i don't know like i think it speaks to like what was going on in culture at that time Mm -hmm. um with people that age but fuck yeah i would have called the priest i would have called so many people call everyone to help me one I'm going to be honest, I probably would have left Katie. (laughs) (laughs) The minute the photo was found, I would have been like, wow. So, like, you're great, but I've got to (laughs) go. Yeah, you're actually cursed. Sorry to interrupt. What did you think of that conversation they had where he was like, you didn't tell me any of these things before we moved in together? Because I felt so bad for Katie. I felt really bad for her. And I I feel bad because it's the sort of thing where, like, relationships were complicated. And, like, Mm. I understand that. However, like, you can't expect someone to, like, this isn't a thing that you would need explained to you. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was being the dick in it. Yeah. 
100%. It's kind of like, how the fuck was she supposed to know that she had to mention this to you? Right. It's a traumatic experience of my life. Like, I don't have to fucking share that with you. Right. I also would have been like, what is wrong with you that this, like, traumatic part of her childhood she has just never opened up to you about? Like... Yeah, says a lot about their relationship. Right? Yeah. (laughs) And I don't blame her because, like, as soon as she does, he's like, fuck it. Like, you're crazy. This is stupid. You know, it's not really happening. I can handle it. You're my girlfriend. I'll protect you. You're my girlfriend. But I think that that speaks to Mika having this very expecting, we said this before, housewife perfect quality about Katie. Like, yeah. I don't think that he respects her as an, as another living being. I think that she's a prop in his life. Yeah. And that, that conversation shows that. Yeah. I, I think there is evidence for that. Like, all the times that she's, like, with her friend, he keeps interrupting them and being like, hey, come look at this thing. And it's like, what are you, like, five? But also just the way, like, the, the actress, again, does a really good job because of the way that she interacts with the friend is very different from the way that she interacts with Mika and not in yeah. the, like, this is my boyfriend way. It's very like, she immediately like puts on the mask for him. Yeah. Yeah. And she does speak, like stick up for herself. She does, which I'm like glad. Yeah. But Mika like is impervious to it. He just like, doesn't even hear her. Well, like it doesn't matter. Like it's, it's like, it's definitely the sort of thing. Like she's done that before and he's kind of like, whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. Like right. I have no doubt that like Mika's probably financially abusive in probably. this relationship. Yep. She pulls up in that really nice fucking car mm-hmm. and like, who do you think got her that car? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> and again, it's the power dynamic between yeah. the two of them is very creepy and really weird. Yeah. So, I don't know. I would have left Mika and Katie. <laughs> yeah, same. Yeah, they're right. <laughs> Katie, you can do better. Find a, find someone who's ready to fight the forces of darkness with you. In a smart way instead right? of, like, you know, <laughs> taking advantage of your situation for yeah. the internet. Maybe he doesn't even know what he's going to do with this yeah. stuff. Katie and um, Dean Winchester, I think, would be a good a good couple. Uh, sure i don't that's you're not a supernatural, supernatural. <laughs> yeah you're not a supernatural i actually bit. thought supernatural um because of tumblr i thought for a very long time that the brothers uh-huh. were in fact lovers that is hilarious i didn't realize I they were it. both named winchester because the right. way that tumblr like paints this and like oh Ooh, yeah. gay supernatural and then i said that out loud because of extraneous the other podcast on right. mischief media um they were like no they're brothers and i went what why is tumblr so horny for them then and they were like because it's it's you fucking tumblr, tumblr yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's a, a fascinating aspect you should go check out extraneous supernatural to uh get some like smart talk about this but like the degree to which slash fic has informed this show without be- being given any real textual evidence over like 10 years oh my god also this would be uh, his dark materials the other extraneous show mm-hmm. would be a completely different movie if like katie had her own demon there to like oh fight for yeah, her totally katie Katie, uh, you need a demon. We should sort you and get you a, a demon. But that would make so much sense of like, mm-hmm. because then I think the, the demon's following her demon and not her. Yeah. That's a lot more supernatural. This yeah, is a different movie. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, the demon would definitely know and talk to Katie and talk to Mika's demon about what's going on in a way that would make Mika's demon understand and then make Mika understand. See, I think yeah. Mika's an asshole and wouldn't get a demon. 
Everyone gets a demon. I, but I, I don't know. I think even he, the worst people get. Demons. I don't know. I think that he would be. A, it would be the show version of the of his dark oh, materials. Yeah. <laughs> He's punished. That's a totally He's different punished. podcast. Listen to Extraneous <laughs> His Dark Materials. Extraneous His Dark Materials. <laughs> Will's other show. <laughs> all our thoughts about the show His Dark of His Dark Materials. Yeah, I I think that Katie deserves better. I also think that Katie has been dealt a really hard hand and I can understand someone not wanting to martyr themselves. Yeah. Against this like unstoppable force, right? It's like it's like stepping in front of a tidal wave or something. Yep. No, yeah, yeah. it is. Um, so the historical context of this film, there was a lot going on mm. in society, <laughs> in movies. I'm going to let you take this away because you've got such an interesting <laughs> <I'm> so <laughs> into this. Yeah. Um, theory about this movie. So please. This is about the financial crisis. Uh, okay. So this movie uh, was shot and written and created in 2007, which predates the financial crisis. So this is not in any intentional way previewing the financial crisis. This is not Oren Pelly's way of, you know, forecasting it. Um, I, I admit there's no authorial intent here, but the fact that this movie hinges on a financial guy, he's a day trader, it's set in San Diego, so he's not on Wall Street, but he's definitely Wall Street adjacent, being so arrogant and then being swept away basically by forces he doesn't understand, I think is such a great metaphor for the financial crisis, which was unfolding as this movie got really popular in 2008, 2009. You know, I think that this is, it's it's like a suburban nightmare that is explicitly sort of the the suburban dream of theirs was explicitly funded by this financial industry where he has like a fetish for like technology and he's wearing a coin net shirt, which suggests like Bitcoin and he's a day trader. Like he's such a stand in for the entire sort of white collar financial industry, which Oren Pelly working as a software engineer in San Diego would have been like, familiar with is sort of like in the general ecosystem with so i just think it's it's such a inadvertent but really compelling metaphor for like the total financial collapse and like the arrogance and like masculine posturing that went into the the collapse and then sort of rising up of forces they thought they understood but actually had no way to harness and just getting completely swept away uh in this case fatally by that I, yes, 100% see that. And I also think that this character of Mika, because of what Oren Pelly was doing for work, is based on a very type of dude that he probably dealt with mm -hmm. in the sense where they thought that they were safe because they dealt with technology or like money or whatever, but wanted the hint of danger of the dark web. Oh, yeah. With Bitcoin, CoinNet. <laughs> uh -huh. Like, it's an interesting, because the financial crisis it fucking sucked but it also brought about i think that the dark web and the deep web all of these and fortune got more popular because suddenly people were kind of like money not that money isn't real but like money isn't real on mm -hmm. the internet yeah and how can i you know overcome that <laughs> <laughs> i'll do that by being on the internet which yeah. like again speaks to him filming all of this and like what could he do with 
with this footage? How could he make money? I don't yeah. know. It's a really weird thing to think about. Yeah, I think there is something to that. The financial collapse sort of lifted the veil of fiduciary stability and like reality behind these things. Right. And a lot of opportunist, opportunistic people, whether it's Bitcoin or scams or 4chan to Donald Trump, like all these things I think are connected of like, oh, scam, it's easy to scam people. It's easy to like just pretend. Exactly. And get ahead. And Mika is trying to like apply that logic to this problem. Like it's fine. It's like if you stay in motion, it won't be able to get you. And unfortunately, he was dealing with the demon, so the demon was just very easily able to get him. It was gonna get him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can see that. Yeah. I I see it more now that you explained it. <laughs> but I looked at the outline and I was like, what the fuck is Will talking about? <laughs> I was all I could think of when I for the the third time I watched it. I did not think of this the first time I watched it. You know, a few years ago. But I just think it's an interesting subtext to this film. Is like the the financial collapse that was happening you know even the film itself like this idea of you can make a movie for fifteen thousand dollars and then get 193 million dollars return yep it's like that's not what's probably going to happen with your film it's actually the only time in the hundred plus years yeah (laughs) mystery that's ever happened but you know i'm sure a lot of people said that and said like i'm gonna i'm gonna do that too no problem I think that this movie says a lot about the internet without explicitly talking about the internet Mm. Um, because of the themes that you just talked about and because of the Mika character. It's, it's this idea that we we're still trying to understand how we wanted to interact on the internet um, as ourselves versus Mm. like just using it for email or whatever. But like suddenly you had the opportunity to be, to become a star or to become a personality, Mm. which was an entry level at that point. You had to work in entertainment in some way in order to do that. Yeah. Um, and it says it's this movie, that's a main theme of it um, without ever saying that he's going to put it on the internet, but he uses the internet to find these things to like explain the situation away. Yeah. Um, I think it's like an unwritten like theme of the film. Yeah. That the internet fucking sucks because he's doing this. They're dealing with this because that's the underlying factor of what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's I think that tracks. And like the idea that he's just going online and finding information and there's it it doesn't help him and there's no reason that it's authoritative like to believe that it's authoritative information, but he is like, "No, I found this on the internet." So this is true. So this is how we're going to handle this. I know how to fucking Google. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And it just completely doesn't work. Which is crazy because then we as the audience had to use the internet to bring this film to us. Yes. Um, It's full circle. (laughs) And I think that that's happenstance. They didn't purposefully do that. Um, They just got really lucky with the fact that the internet, similar to Blair Witch, got lucky with like, fuck, there's a community for this online. And it's no longer just in your like local town. Mm. It is it's fucking nationwide. Mm. There are all these weirdos out there ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> I will say another thing that makes this really interesting that aside from this being a found footage, this truly did kicks re kickstart the based on a true story oh, without yeah. using the words based on a true story. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that when audiences hear based on a true story, you're like, okay, I'm getting a fictional account. 
this very much like Blair Witch was kind of like it starts the fucking film with thank you to Katie and Mika's family for allowing us to have this. And you're yeah, like, right. oh, fuck. Right. And the San Diego Police Department. <laughs> exactly. And, and that became a norm suddenly for a lot of these found footage or for a lot of these films that are documentary style mm-hmm. of like, we the, wait, we legally don't have to say that this isn't real. Like we're allowed <laughs> to, this is part of the narrative. Yeah. And it, that's a big that's a big deal. And again, the, that wouldn't exist without the internet because mm. no one had to tell you that their video on YouTube wasn't real, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, it's like it goes back to I think like um, creepy pastas, where it, like they're it's all a fucking like, creepy pasta. Yes. This movie is a creepy pasta, yes, right? It's like <laughs> so this really happened. Let me tell you about it. it the house next door, <laughs> right? It didn't really happen, but it's a better story if you say that that sentence to begin, even if we all understand on some level that it's not true. Yeah. Oh, it's like an elevated urban legend. I love it. Every 15th, every 20th, every 50th story might actually be true. Yeah. Oh, my God. Which is like scary. (laughs) I don't want to think about it because it's kind of like that could totally happen. Yeah. I live in a bedroom. Like, right, exactly. I, I sleep. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So, I used to. Not anymore. <laughs> what is this movie now? Uh, that's a great question. I I don't know if this movie now is any different or really dramatically different. Um, for all the reasons we discussed, like the technology is a big presence in the film, but it's it's fairly timeless. You know, like if you're, whether it's a camcorder or an iPhone you know, I feel like it has to be past a certain point in the evolution of technology where, like, there's a certain, like, clear quality. You know, like, Blair Witch right. was always kind of grainy, and there's an appeal in that. But, like, you get past a certain year, whether it's 2004 or five, whatever, where it's very easy to make, like, a clear piece of film at home. And then at that point, it could be any time. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of any noticeable differences that I would expect. I think this movie now, one, it's hard to talk about that because we, we have so many goddamn sequels. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they keep on saying, like, what is paranormal activity now? Mm. But I think um, it would be in a tiny home <laughs> and, like, a traveling one. Oh, interesting. Because I think that this movie now has to would have to do a lot to convince you that it Katie's the one being haunted. Uh-huh. So I think that it exists in a tiny home because I think the way that audiences would like a movie like this is that we see the entire space at once. Interesting. And also like it's it's hard out here for millennials. None of us are <laughs> fucking buying houses. Right. <laughs> so I think that like that would be the new gimmick and I also think that it would change the story a little bit because they would continue to travel. Like I think that they would spend one night in the woods and be like, "Oh god, this weird really weird thing happened." Yeah. And then they're like, okay, well, let's just drive 50 miles this way. Let's go to our next town. And it just keeps on getting worse. Yeah. I also think that very explicitly in this film now, um, Mika and Katie would be an Instagram couple. They would be internet celebrities to begin with. And not even like (laughs) making their way there, Uh but like there would be a very explicit reason why they're filming themselves. 
Yeah. That's why I imagine they're influencers. It, yeah, that's why I imagine in a tiny home because like maybe there are a couple that like just stream their life in a tiny home in yeah. a in a traveling bus or whatever. <laughs> so I think that that's how it I think the internet would be more of its own character now versus this unwritten part of the plot. Yeah. Oh, I really like that. Be like <laughs> paranormal activity meets Caroline Calloway. Oh. <laughs> exactly yeah (laughs) oh i love it and i love the idea of um actually testing um what everyone was saying that like if you leave it it will follow you because future films they don't really future paranormal activity films don't really test that a whole lot either where no one goes on the road and be like will it actually follow me and oh man so many opportunities for like new scares like new spaces and new ways to to yeah. fuck with and they just keep on you. traveling yeah oh, they just God, keep it. running and they're and until they finally fucking realize i think like it the the way <laughs> like the whole finding the photo thing would be like they finally just like go to katie's hometown and stay with her parents oh yeah and then they're just like why the fuck do you have this and they're like we don't know yeah <laughs> the final stand <laughs> For, oh god it, it reminds me of the stand in a bit oh. yeah <laughs> <laughs> running and then, yeah i like that so who would you cast in this movie now? Oh, man. That's a great question. Uh, maybe like Chris Pine for the dude, for like the Mika role. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, who would be Katie? I feel like Katie would have to be an unknown. Yeah. In order for us to have zero uh, thoughts about this character. I think that the male character can be someone famous mm-hmm. um, because I think that it's really, this is going to sound horrible, but I think that it's really easy to like paint any dude as an asshole. Right. So it doesn't really matter. But um, I think that it, the Katie would have to be a lesser known actress for yeah. us to fully understand the fear or like this mystery. Because what it's about, it, it's the mystery around Katie. Yeah, right. So you can't have a super famous woman play this because it'd be like, oh, uh, well. I agree. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, although it would be kind of funny if they cast Florence Pugh. Oh, but she would be amazing in fucking anything. Right? Oh, my God. And then it her real like, life boyfriend could be the asshole because he is. Is he? <laughs> Zach Braff sucks. <laughs> Wait. I didn't realize she was dating him. That sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially <laughs> because she like, I'm thinking like her Midsummer character where like she kind of played a Katie and it's like a vengeful Katie. Oh my god, she totally does. Right? Oh shit. Yeah, yeah. So her, but like three years ago, before she like right. very well deserved has all this fame. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now it would kind of be like I, that would be typecasting. No, we're we're typecasting right. her. <laughs> Did you ever see Demonic with Florence Pugh? Yes. I <sighs> not very good, right? No, but she's She's good in it. She's good. Yeah. And I think that it speaks a lot to her. I like I understand that she is going to explore other things. I want her in all weird horror yes. films. Yes. She's just, she's got such an expressive face. I know. She's so good. Like, yeah, do do Little Women, do all that stuff, but also... Go back to the horror. Yeah, don't stop making horror movies, <laughs> man. <laughs> uh, so if you had to describe this plot in 10 words or less... All right, so men suck, uh-huh. demons suck, <laughs> you're fucked. <laughs> Six, nailed it. I think that that's really what it is. 
What are, what are what are your less than ten words or ten words? It's about the financial crisis. <laughs> That's valid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like that would be the tagline. People would be like, "What movie is this? Yeah, right. <laughs> How many times do I have to watch this to understand?" <laughs> Yeah, I think, but like that's what makes this movie so great is that it has such a simple plot that you yeah. can get wild with understanding it and dissecting right. it. Exactly. God. Yeah. <laughs> so have we have we come come to it the end of our paranormal activity? I feel like for Fuck. now, yeah. For now. <laughs> I think that we are, we're definitely going to talk about this movie a lot in our next couple. I think movies. so. Yeah. I think it it. It hangs over a lot of the horror landscape now, especially the found footage world that For we're sure. still exploring. Yeah, it kickstarted the cycle. We talk about this often on the podcast that horror themes and horror monsters are cyclical, mm-hmm. and Paranormal Activity is one hundred percent the kickstart of like, hey, remember found footage mm-hmm. and how creepy this shit is? Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. What's our next movie? So our next movie is the Spanish film Rec, R-E-C, like record. One of the scariest movies I've ever seen. I am actually nervous about rewatching it. I'm so excited. Yeah. I love this movie. One, because it's rare to watch a movie uh, in my native language that like oh, people right. love. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot of Spanish horror that's amazing out yeah, there. there is. Um, but I'm really excited because since I grew up speaking Spanish, and there's something inherently because it's such a big part of my childhood mm-hmm. scary about hearing things in Spanish. Like I still dream in Spanish. Oh wow! Uh-huh. So it it feels very visceral and like real to me because mm-hmm. in my current life I don't I only I speak Spanish with my family and like if I'm at a store or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a different level of like fuck. This is really <sighs> scary. It's like primal for you. Yeah. Yeah, it's that's cool. I'm really excited. Yeah, I love and I also love that movie so much. It's so good, it's so scary. Oh my god! I'm also I'll be fascinated to hear your take on like how the the subtitles do translating because I've watched. This will be my first time watching it with subtitles. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I, which I told you I was going to do purposefully because mm-hmm. I want to see how they translate certain words because there are yeah. words that and phrases that don't translate fully. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited to see how they translate parts of the story. Interesting. Yeah. I think it, I think it'll be a really good discussion. I'm really excited to discuss it with you, who have this unique. Yeah. My superpower of another <laughs> Your superpower language. Superpower speaking another language. Yeah. <laughs> the only one in the world who speaks Spanish. <laughs> it is. Um. Yeah. I'm excited for it. I think. It, and I think that again, this is the next step of found footage. Yes. Because of what paranormal activity didn't take advantage of in cgi and budget wreck is like fuck the fuck Let's, off yeah right <laughs> <laughs> what happens when we purposefully have this much money <laughs> right right it's also it's an example of a film that's like found footage plus like it's found footage plus all the other crazy things that are happening in the plot that we'll get into it's fucking insane yeah it's be, so layered it's so layered right so yeah i agree it's like it's the evolution so so if you've got any like drink suggestions for us yeah <laughs> let us know what do you drink with a spanish found footage zombie <laughs> horror film um because you can find us on social yep uh, at jump pod on literally facebook instagram and twitter mm-hmm. 
Yeah, we're yeah. excited. <laughs> <laughs> hey, get at us not only for what we should drink next week, but what arcs, what films, what etc. you'd like us to get into. We uh, are thinking about what we're going to do this year in planning, and we'd love to hear your input. Yeah, and tell a friend about Jump Scare. Yeah. We're a lot of fun. We want to hang out with your friends. Um, and keep an eye on our social because Will is going to start publishing our beautiful recipes for our drinks. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, and we're going to start filming videos of me trying to make these drinks, uh -huh. even if it's just pouring out a glass of wine. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see yeah. you next time for Rack. Yeah. Bye, y'all. Bye. Jump Scare is a Mischief Media podcast. What is Mischief Media? A podcast network that takes stories seriously. Mischief Media is Extraneous, a podcast that goes deep on the stories you love and comes back with a little something extra, including, right now, Supernatural and His Dark Materials. By the way, guys, I co-host the His Dark Materials pod. You should listen. What else is Mischief Media? Make New Mistakes, only the coolest business podcast around. Make New Mistakes is about being in business, being in charge, and being the ones to screw it all up. Melissa and Takia host it. They are amazing, and they really get into the nitty-gritty of what it's like to be two women running a serious business in New York City, uh, anywhere. Um, it's a really rewarding and educational podcast. I encourage you to check it out. Also, a story most queer. Short fiction and nonfiction stories from some of the most exciting queer voices out there. Mischief Media, we take stories seriously.